Hey everybody, this is Troy Mangum. Welcome to the Kindling Fire. Did you know your life is a message that God is wanting to communicate to the world? Every episode, I get to interview friends of mine, people that I think are awesome, whose life is communicating a message that needs to get out to the world. Thank you for joining. So I am so excited uh, that we're here and I get to introduce a bunch of, um, actually they get to introduce themselves, but I'm so excited to have to my left, that was your cue. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but the tea is so I'm Kathy. <laughs> my wife, Kathy, and? Sasan. <laughs> Good. Uh, Scott Jennings, and to my left is my bride. Sherry. Awesome. So Scott and Sherry, I know them through um, some circles that we have run in uh, in the last couple years. And... Um, and let's see, where should we start? Where should we start? Okay, I wanted you guys on here because you guys have an amazing story. Amazing. And, and, uh, and I've always thought, you know, probably you should. You had something you said, uh, you used to say about uh, um, a good book title. Mm-hmm. You Our know divorce what? just didn't work out, yeah. That's exactly right. Mm-hmm. So, so that is a good title. isn't that a good title? We just need to write the book now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but you now. got the title. You got the title. That's sometimes <laughs> the hardest thing. Right? Yeah. So, so why don't we? Why don't we just kind of start there? Like, who is Scott and Sherry? And uh, as far as um, kind of marriage goes, and then we'll weave into all the kind of stuff that you yeah. guys have been involved in. Yeah, so um, Sherry and I met in uh, 1989. Um, I was attending the University of Massachusetts at Amherst, and Sherry was going to a little school in New Haven called Southern Connecticut State University. And we met at a very big school called UConn, University of Connecticut. And um, we met at a keg party, and uh, Sherry was a senior, and I was a freshman, and she totally ignored me the whole time. And uh, which, you know, She's a senior, I'm a freshman. That's kind of understandable, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then we met our paths crossed again uh, a little bit, a couple, couple months, months later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, and I got her to talk to me. You were stalking me. I was stalking you a little bit, but they, those laws didn't exist back then, so it's okay. So um, I wasn't really stalking her, but I kind of was following her around that You were just outside her window? Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's all. I mean, what is, is that? that wrong? Yeah, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Hi, hanging from a tree. Um, no, so, uh, you know, I just, I was, I would notice her when she, the first time I saw her, I noticed her. And then that night, you know, again, and uh, then she noticed me noticing her. And There's so, a song there. Yeah, yeah, there is. Um, I saw her standing there. Is that the one you're thinking? <laughs> noticing yes. you. Noticing <laughs> There you go. Sing it, Kat. I don't really know it. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, so we started dating. Um, and it uh, wasn't long after we started dating that Sherry said, you know, I'm not really into this long distance thing. So I did uh, what most women do. We give an ultimatum. Yeah. You can either move to Connecticut with me or we're done. All right. And so I moved to Connecticut because um, I had... I had not been invited to leave uh, UMass Amherst, but my academic standing was not stellar, let's say. 
So I thought, well, I'll move to New Haven. I'll be with Sherry. You know, I'll work somewhere, go to school at Southern. You know, um, things yeah. will be great. And so we um, we lived together, but with three other women in an apartment in New Haven. Okay. Which was interesting. Uh, and then uh, we got our own place and um, got married in September of 1991. So we had no... There was no God in our lives at this point. There was yeah. none of that. I didn't grow up in church at all. Um, yeah. My parents took me to church when I was nine years old and had me baptized, and then we never went back. Yeah. Um, and um, I grew up Catholic. Yeah. So it was yeah. sort of an identity of the family. It's what you did on Sunday, but it didn't really impact the rest of your week. So what I was thinking was that um, between the smoking, coupled with my work and my personality, working in facilities management, construction management, and when you're petite and blonde in construction management in a man's field that way, the way I managed that was to be louder and more coarse and crass. and just more crass and very disrespectful to the men who worked for me because that's what I saw modeled man-to-man in that field. You tear the man down, they work harder. And so that was what I did there and that's what I brought home is I was very disrespectful to Scott and not remotely submitted to him in any way. Um, I was independent, one of four daughters growing up, and my parents raised us to be strong, independent women, that we didn't need to be married. If we wanted to, that was great. You know, I love you, I want you, but I don't really need you. Mm-hmm. was sort of the message that I brought home to Scott. Yeah. Yeah, and um, so one of the things, and we'll talk more about um, kind of what goes on in, in the heart, um, but one of the things that most recently God revealed to me, just September of last year, September of 2016, yeah. was that I had been living under this vow and this agreement that in order to receive love, uh, I have to do something for you. So that's how I would arrange for love, is, and that stems back to when I was seven years old and my dad and... And my, you know, story is in my childhood. So for me, someone who has to, I will, and of course became a firefighter, right? So, I mean, what greater place than for me to earn your love than for me to drag, drag you out of a burning building or cut you out of a car, right? you know? Um, But for, for me, who's living in that, under that agreement that I have to, in order for you to love me, I have to do for you to marry someone who doesn't need me is a recipe for disaster, right? So, yeah, so Sherry was living in that place of, of as she described, you know, just being controlling and and over, over... When we were at parties, when we were in college, she would seek out arguments with people. I mean, she was a different person then, totally different person. So um, she's, as, as I've said before, she's much more demure now, but... Um, well, and that came out of the course of getting pregnant. Yeah. And realizing in the course of the language that I was speaking, realizing, gosh, that just wouldn't sound good coming out of a toddler's mouth. And I didn't realize it was God starting to soften my character, but there was that change, that switch went off in me. Yeah. And um, it didn't in me. Uh, (laughs) I continued kind of on that same path and spent more and more time away from home, especially after when she became pregnant, she would go to bed at eight o'clock, eight 30 at night. And you know, I, I'm, I'm not anymore, but I used to be a night owl cat. Like you said, Mm -hmm. you are, you know, and, um, I still can hang, I can stay up until, 
you know, 10, 30, 11 o'clock. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but yeah, so she would go to bed early and I would either stay downstairs or go out, you know? And so we just were drifting further and further apart. Yeah. And, um, so I got more and more involved with the fire department. Yeah. Um, and, uh, progressed kind of through the rank. I was firefighter of the year in 1995, the year my son was born, you know, gone more and more because as a, um, as a timeout. Okay. <laughs> okay. We'll try it again. Yeah. So gone firefighter more, of the year. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I was gone more and more just because I, you know, I didn't know how to relate to an infant, you know, I didn't, yeah, I can't play ball with him i can't wrestle with him all he does is poop and scream <laughs> so you know and, and that sounds horrible and i look back on that on that time in, in in my life with my son as a dad with regret that yeah. i hadn't didn't spend more time with him but at the time i just didn't know how to relate with him either i couldn't relate with my wife so i went someplace where you know people could i could relate to them they could relate to me yeah which was either the firehouse or the bar well and you're struggling with the loss of your own dad Yes. So in 1994, my dad passed away. Um, uh, and it was kind of unexpected. He was sick and had been sick for a while. He had medical challenges throughout his whole life. Born in 1928, had polio when he was a oh, child wow. and was on crutches. And, uh, and then when, when I was about seven years old, you know, was primarily in a wheelchair after that, he fell and broke his arm. Mm -hmm. And um, so that's how that all started, that whole agreement of I've got to do uh, to receive love because I became his helper. That became our kind of our relationship. Yeah. Um, and he would get frustrated that he couldn't do certain things and I didn't want him to be frustrated. So I just let me do this for you. Let me change the light bulb. Let me, yeah. uh, change the fan belt in the car, do whatever, you know? Yeah. And that became in me a vow that uh, if, if I do things for you, you'll love me. So, um, yeah, so, so I don't know why I went off on that track, but angry with God. Angry with God. That's right. So um, in 1994, um, my dad passed away. I was 23 years old, and because we didn't have a great relationship, wasn't terrible. You know, it wasn't like yeah. you know some of the stories I hear, um, but it wasn't what I really felt like it should be and what I wanted it to be, and so. Um, I thought as an adult, I'll pursue my dad, you know, I'll pursue him and pursue a relationship with him. Yeah. And he had been talking about God. He had been talking about Jesus. He had been talking about his deepening relationship um, with God. And I was like, okay, you know, I want to hear more about that. And then he died. And uh, so I became very angry with God. Yeah. Um, I, I had and I swallowed that bitterness down and it just kind of festers inside you when you have that unresolved anger and bitterness inside you. And so it, it now, really... So let me ask, let me ask, so the, the child is born? 1995. 1995. Okay, so this is... And so what, what do you a see year, going a year, on? A year and 20 days after my dad passed away, our son okay. was born. Yeah. What do you see going on with this? I mean, do you know he's going out and... Yeah, I'm seeing him gone more. I'm seeing him spending a lot of effort and time and, and passion in the fire department. Mm -hmm. And I suspect a lot of it is partying. But I'm also so focused on this new baby and my advancing career in facilities management that 
we get in that, that groove that couples get into where things are good for a little while and then you fight and then you make up and then things are good for a little while until you can't tolerate it anymore and then you fight and then you make up. Never really resolving the issue, though. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't think I saw what was coming. Right. But I knew that it was getting progressively, um, progressively worse. Yeah. You know, just not a good marriage, not a good relationship. Yeah, it wasn't. Yeah, so, um, wasn't really that, I think the... Um, when things really started to get bad with the fire department was 1997 or eight. Um, you know, as a first responder, you, you see people in about the worst 20 to 30 minutes of their life, whether it's because of a medical call, somebody's had a heart attack, Mm -hmm. your house is on fire, Mm -hmm. you just wrecked your car, whatever it might be, you're seeing some pretty Mm -hmm. tough stuff. And so, um... There was one particular call, though, in 1998 that was uh, a fatality on the highway, and it was particularly traumatic. And that call um, flipped a switch in me where I was okay. I was dealing with it, you know, the stress of of seeing some of those things. uh, And then I just couldn't deal with it anymore. Um, And I was actually... I think probably within a week after that call, I started to hallucinate. Uh, I would look at people's faces and I'd see that victim's face or what was left of it, if that gives you a picture. So um, I was really not able to function um, in any kind of normal capacity. Uh, So what do you do in that situation? Well, you either seek help or you self-help. Yeah. You know, and um, at the time, you know, we had uh, we had I think at that time we had just started to introduce something called CISD, which is critical incident stress debriefing. Yeah. Uh, where where counselors would come in and we talk about the call and talk about what mm-hmm. we were feeling and those kind of things. Yeah. But I don't recall having that team called in for this particular. Yeah. One. Um, so. Really, I, I, I remember distinctly, I was in, a, in the truck one day and I had a guy next to me uh, in, the, in the passenger seat and I looked over and his face turned into her face and I heard a voice say to me, you know, when you're drunk, you don't see that. And I was like, that's true. I only see that when I'm sober. Well, I like to drink, so I'll just drink all the time. Yeah. And I became really from that point what is an an oxymoron, um, but what is referred to as a functional alcoholic. So I'd get up in the morning and, you know, on my way to work or whatever, I'd start drinking. And a lot of times I'd book off for work and I'd be in the bar as soon as it opened, you know, at at one o'clock in the afternoon. And and, um, so when when the alcohol, you know, I started to get reprimanded and man, I smell booze on your breath and it's 11 o'clock in the morning from my supervisors and those kind of things, uh, I turned to prescription drugs, Percocet in particular, mm. um, to kind of get me through the day till mm-hmm. I could get away from work and, you know, buy a, a fifth of Jack and a 30 pack of beer and go to my right. buddy's house or wherever and get yeah. drunk at yeah. night, you know. How long did that go on? Uh, that went on for um, probably... Five or six years. Okay. 
And and did you know this was at that level? No, it was a slow progression over that time. Yeah. And, I mean, he masked it well. It just, he would say he had more calls. You know, he would... Yeah. It was back in the time of beepers, and, oh, the beeper went off, gotta go. And instead of it being a call, he was just going to the bar, and I didn't know. And, yeah, you know, wives don't want to think that. Yeah. I mean, we don't want to think that that that's what he's doing. You want to believe him. Yeah. So, and I would either leave after she went to bed mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then not come home until, you know, 2, 3 o'clock in the morning or whatever, or just never come home in the afternoon and evening and just stay out and just call her and say, hey, I'm doing this or that. You know? Yeah. So when when did it come, kind of let's fast forward to where it came to the breaking point. Because you guys, like you said, the title of your book. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you guys, it got bad. So Yeah. Ha- yeah. So, so um, you know, it's the old Garth Brooks song, uh, Friends in Low Places. You know, th- those people really aren't your, your friends. They want to, they want you to believe that they are but they're really not. And so spending more and more time in more and more places that I shouldn't have been, dive bars, biker rallies, club meetings, uh, they're not really your friends. And so um, what they are, you know, is, is people who are, they're just as lost as you are and they're sympathizing with your plight and justifying your behavior. And so you wanna be around people that are gonna justify your behavior. And so one of those people was a woman who I could talk to, who mm. showed me that I was valuable, even mm. if in a twisted kind of a way, yeah. and showed me a measure of respect that my wife was not showing me. And so I was drawn to her, and we ended up in an, in an affair, and it turned into a long-term one. We were together for a year and a half. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and so um, Sherry knew something was not right well and in the midst of this you know god is so good and you don't see it coming but a little bit before that started and i had no idea that was going on um i just i knew there had to be more than the cycle that we were in in our marriage i knew there had to be more to life you know here we are with a nine-year-old son eight nine-year-old son and just feeling directionless even though you know work was going really well for me Home was not going so well. You know, there had to be more. And so I read the Left Behind series. What did I say? You can think anything you want about it, but I read that and I'm thinking, if I'm on the wrong side of this, I got to get this figured out. And that just made me curious about Jesus. And then a friend of Scott's, uh, a woman, invited me to this study. Their, their church was starting launching a whole bunch of purpose-driven life groups. And so she invited me and a couple other women to it and started that journey with her. And that's where I first surrendered to Jesus. Several months before I realized that Scott was in the midst of this affair. And, you know, God had started to soften my heart and I started to see things differently. And I know that he was doing that, that the timing was so perfect. Because had I not been walking through that with these girlfriends and with Jesus through this book, and found out about the affair, I would have kicked him to the curb because I didn't need him. You know, that might as well have been part of our wedding vows. I promise to love, honor, and cherish you till death that we part, unless you have an affair. <laughs> and then you were out of here. And so my first response was not that. My first response to learning about the affair was, oh my gosh, we are so broken. 
and and God had already been showing me how I had been tearing him down as God was sort of working in my heart that whole Psalm 139 you know search my heart and mm-hmm. show me the iniquities you know he had been work God had been working on me and with me in the way that I spoke to him the way that I saw mm-hmm. him mm-hmm. you know my lack of of surrender and submission within the marriage and granted he wasn't much of a leader to be submitted to but it certainly didn't justify my disrespect. Hmm. Yeah, we one of the things that we um, we recognized early on uh, in our reconciliation, which we'll get to in a second, yeah. but um, we, we both contributed to the destruction of our marriage. I mean, from from an outward perspective, you know, I was the dog. I was the one that was was having an affair. I was cheating. It was all me that broke our marriage and. The reality of the situation is when someone is going through uh, an affair is, is is experiencing adultery in their marital relationship, it's a symptom of a deeper problem. It's not the problem. Not that it isn't a problem. Don't hear what I'm not yeah, saying, yeah. right? Yeah. But but it's not the root of the issue. It's a symptom of the issue. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so, so Sherry found out about it and said, you know, um, again, gave me an ultimatum, but in a good way this time, it was really justified. She said, you know, I'm, I'm getting closer to God and he's going to be part of our household. And if you are not interested in that and you want to continue to be drunk all the time and have a girlfriend, then you can't live here. Wait, wait, wait. No, I didn't quite say it like that. <laughs> okay. Well then how did you That say sounded it? so nice. It, well, it was really nice. It was really nice. That's not really what I said. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Give it, what set I the record that. straight. Yeah, yeah, because it was. So, so I mean, it was from God. So I want to say it the right way. Say it the right way. Because I'd been praying for it, and I I wanted God to rescue him. I knew God had rescued me. I wanted God to rescue Scott too. But I also knew that we built our house, we built our family, not for the purpose of him having a girlfriend and drinking. So the mission of our family did not include drinking and girlfriends. So he could either stay at home and come up under that mission, or he had to live somewhere else. Hmm. And I wanted very much for him to live at home, under the mission of our home. And be the leader, and yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so that was sort of your choice: live under this mission, or, you know, go figure it out until you're ready to live under the mission. Right. And yeah. Left. Reluctantly. So I left. Yeah. So I left. Because you didn't take a thing with you. No, I didn't. I didn't. Which is just bad. I took like a bag, an overnight bag. Yeah. yeah. So and what she, when, when she said, you know, I want you to leave, I'm like, all right, well, I'll go stay with a buddy for a few days and come back and things will be, you know, like they were. And she meant get your crap and get out, you know, <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. get your stuff and go. Yeah. And I missed that entirely. With eyes towards reconciliation. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so I left and, and, um, I think the first time I left, I stayed with a friend and then I came back for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, I didn't really, I re- didn't really have a heart change. Yeah. I just was like, yeah, I don't think I want to throw all that away. I'll go home and try to make it work. And within a couple of weeks I was gone again. And this time I left and, and went and moved in with my girlfriend. Hmm. Yeah. So what did God do with you there? Cause God must've done something. Well, I remember um, one night sitting alone in 
the apartment that we shared with two of her kids from a former marriage. And um, I was sitting alone. They were gone somewhere. Uh, and I, ha- I think I had some music on, but I was sitting in the dark um, with a fifth of whiskey and a pint glass. And I drank that whole bottle of whiskey sitting there um, in one sitting. And I remember as at one time as I was pouring, I don't remember if it was the first glass or the last one, but I remember sitting there thinking, you know, I don't really think this is who I'm supposed to be. I don't really think that this is me. How am I here? How did I even get here? You know, and um, so I think that was sort of the start of it wasn't like, how did I get here? God, what do I do now? I mean, there was none of that. It was just, I, I don't know how I ended up in this place on this road, living this life, you know, when we had such a good life in front of us. And so um, we um, talked a little bit here and there. Sherry wanted to go to counseling and I was like, yeah, sure, I'll go to counseling. You know, I was in this weird in-between place where, you know, I wanted my relationship with my girlfriend and I wanted my wife. I'm thinking that had to be awkward. How do you leave the girlfriend's house saying, Hey, I'm going to marriage counseling now. <laughs> I don't even See you after dinner. how that worked. <laughs> I don't remember how that worked, but yeah, I mean, awkward as could be. So <clears throat> I probably lied to her is what probably. probably happened. I probably lied to her and told her I was going somewhere else. But um, but I was grateful. I was grateful. So we went to a counselor and, and it took me, so I was pretty manipulative. Um, you know, I've been a, I've been a counselor now um, for many years and what I've found out is that, you know, when you are gifted as a counselor and you use your powers for evil, you're a master manipulator is what you are. Yeah, I think I recognize that. Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> so, my wife laughs. Yeah, yeah. So, so, uh, so we went to this counselor who was not a Christian counselor. Yeah, yeah. and she, she, um, she ended up, it took me probably two sessions with her. To get her to say to Sherry, you know, if you would just lighten up some and drink a little, and bit. Drink a little bit and party with Scott, he wouldn't need a girlfriend to do that with. Yeah. So yeah. the lesson Great there, counselor. <laughs> the lesson there is choose a wise Christian counselor, right? Right. I mean. Yeah. And she was working on her second divorce at the time. Yeah. So, so by our, like our sixth or seventh meeting, she's asking me, so tell me about this God thing and why are you even here? Why do you want to stay with him? Right. So we went to that for a little while. Sherry set, um, mm-hmm. Sherry set a divorce date, and um, well, the, wait, the agreement wait, wait. was. I filed a divorce because in Connecticut you can lose everything with you driving drunk. Yeah, I was doing wrong things. Right, and in Connecticut they set the date four months later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the counselor, the three of us, decided that it was a good idea <laughs> that if by that date. You would say, move out of the girlfriend's house and stop working with her, that I would postpone the divorce date. Yeah, and get a different job and all that, because right. we work the same place. Yeah, right. yeah, and, and let me say, too, you know, I, because of my involvement with the fire department, I was really tight with the police department, and I should have been in jail. Meaning you were getting away with a lot of crap. They would follow me home, they would mm-hmm. give me a ride, I mean... There was enabling going on there, you know, yeah. and I am 
incredibly embarrassed and ashamed to say that I that I got behind the wheel of a motor vehicle and got on my motorcycle at times in the condition mm-hmm. I was in. It's only by the grace of God mm-hmm. yeah. that I didn't kill somebody. Yeah. And so anybody that's listening to this and hearing me say that I was driving drunk, I do not, I'm not making light of that. That mm-hmm. was, I am deeply ashamed of that. Yeah. Um, because I saw the, the result of it. Yeah, I bet you did. Mm-hmm. Uh, not, not, you know, yeah. me, I was protected somehow. Yeah. Some by the police department and some by the grace of God. But I, I saw the aftermath of what happens when people get high, behind the wheel of a vehicle under mm-hmm. the influence of anything. Yeah. And so um, anyway, I just felt like I needed to say that. that, that no, that's, that's important. Um, so, so yeah, so we were with this counselor and Sherry set this divorce date because she wanted to protect what we had built together. Right. You know, if I wrecked killed somebody, hurt somebody, they could come, even though I didn't live there anymore, yeah. they could take the house, they could take all of our retirement, everything, and, sh- you know, Sherry and Stephen would have no place to live. Well, and I wanted to have something for you to come back to. Yeah, wanted to protect what we had built to that point, mm-hmm. sure. So, so yeah, we set some very clear expectations in that area, like we will, I'll, like Sherry said, I'll, I'll move out from the girlfriend's place, I'll get a new job, mm-hmm. all that. And uh, that date came. I hadn't met the, the conditions. She postponed to another date. That date came. Because I'd been praying and I'd been reading the Bible and God is changing my heart. And I'm reading how it grieves his heart. How divorce, divorce grieves yeah. him. And the last thing I wanted to do was grieve God. <laughs> so you were, trying, so, you were trying to do right by God, if yeah, you will. The last thing I wanted yeah. was to get a divorce. Yep. I wanted so much to... For God to save him. Yeah. And so that we could be married because, and early on, just in the journey, I had prayed, God, show me Scott through your eyes. And he showed me this little boy, this broken little boy who had painted himself into a corner and didn't know how to come out of it, a man. And I knew that I had helped put him in that corner. Mm-hmm. And so I was just, I knew that God could do this. And Scott would so gladly share that. That was the last bit of control I was trying to maintain. I had released so much. I had released mm-hmm. Scott to God. I had released my plan for my life and for our lives to God. You know, I would. I had really come to a place where I was living minute by minute to God with God. Mm-hmm. You know, just that kind of mm-hmm. carefree yet intimate relationship with Him. So, postponing that July date to August, and then you know that August date came and went. And the next date was September 21st, 2005, our 14th wedding anniversary. And I remember praying and hearing God say, if you don't let him go, I won't bring you the Christian husband I have for you. I was like, okay, God, I want that Christian husband. And I know it can be Scott because I know you can rescue him. (laughs) So I stood firm on that date and there was no amount of manipulation or badgering or belittling yep. Scott's part that could change it. Yeah. And, you know, I really, I didn't, I didn't know any better, but, um, I thought she picked the date out of spite. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought she picked the day of our 14th, like not as if you picked the day. Right. I mean, yeah, I get that now, but I, I was an angry person then. Mm-hmm. And, um, as she said, you know, tried to manipulate, pulled out all the stops. You know, I had, I had, um, 
I had contemplated uh, ending my own life and um, had not shared that with her be- just because of what I was of what I was struggling with um, with our the the hallucinations and the mm-hmm. I, I just you, you know you can't maintain that you can't maintain self medication you can't do it forever you know eventually you get to the point to the breaking point where even this isn't working anymore mm-hmm. yeah you know it's beer and then it's hard liquor and then it's pills and then it's coke and then it's meth and then it, I mean eventually you run out of stuff that takes whatever the pain is away. And, um, I was reaching that point and, um, and really didn't, didn't know what else to do. And so when she had stood firm on that final divorce date, I was like, you know, I'm ready to, I'm ready to commit suicide here. I'm ready to, and she, you know, looked at me like, really, you you're going to play that card, you know? I told um, him to call his counselor. Yeah. <laughs> Clearly she, she understood him. That's what she said to do. So I planned it out. Um, I, I, you know, I, I picked, um, I picked a place on the highway where I had seen, um, wrecks before and I had seen a fatal wreck there before. And so I knew, uh, if I dialed the bike up to about a hundred something and hit that spot, um, that I would, it would look like a accident and I would be killed. And, um, so we went through the divorce and, um, it was a Wednesday, September 21st. That's and the worst day. It was the worst day. And uh, I was very angry, and Sherry was very devastated. And uh, we went through the divorce. I went on a bender, I, you know, just booked off of work and just was all day, pass out, wake up, open the next bottle, smoke this, drink that. And um, that Friday, I was supposed to come and watch our son, and I called Sherry to say I wasn't going to be able to make it. And um, said goodnight to our son. And for whatever reason, my girlfriend heard me talking on the phone and got angry with me. I don't know what I said that made her mad. Um, But we had talked about how I still was, uh, later on that evening when we were fighting, after the phone call, my girlfriend and I, I told her that I still had feelings for Sherry. You know, I mean, she's the mother of my child. We got divorced literally a couple of days ago. Yeah, I'm still wrestling with some feelings about my ex-wife. And um, she just went over the edge with that. And it was a lot like a Jerry Springer episode at that point. Um, I got a black eye from her, my girlfriend. <clears throat> my stuff ended up out on the lawn and all that. And uh, so um, I collected up my belongings and called Sherry. Hey, can I drop off this stuff? This is 1 o'clock in the morning now. Drop off this stuff in the garage. She let me do that. Um, I went... And then I berated her some more. I, I had become very verbally abusive. Hmm. And I did that that night too. Hmm. And um, went to a hotel room and called her up and gave her some more of a hard time over the phone. And, and I'll tell you, I know that God's grace is new in the morning, but he doesn't mean like two in the morning. He really means like after you've been sleeping for a yeah, while. Yeah, after you've got some rest. So I was out of grace at that point. Yeah. And, and called his sister to say, you know, look. You need to talk to him because I just, I really don't have anything else for him at this point. Mm -hmm. I I just, I love him. He needs to get some help and I can't do that. Mm -hmm. So his sister called him in the hotel room. Yeah, my eldest sister, who's um, at the time was a pastor's wife. My my brother-in-law's retired now. Mm -hmm. But um, she called me and um, uh, in the hotel room and she said, you're in a hotel room. Open up the drawer next to the bed. There's going to be a Bible in there. And there was. 
Uh, I didn't know at the time that that was the case, but thank God for the Gideons. You know, if there's any <laughs> yes. Gideons listening, you know, thank God for the Gideons, right? But because um, there was a hotel, uh, a Bible in the hotel room. So um, I did not, you know, open it up and start reading it. She told me, take the Bible out. I'll read some passages to you hmm. and, um, you know, try to get you through this. And so she read, I don't remember what passages or how much how many of them she read mm-hmm. i remember one it, it's isaiah 55 verses 7 and 8 let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and turn back to god for he will freely pardon mm-hmm. and so i put the bible away and instead of carrying out my plan to end my life i went to sleep i'm gonna stop it right there this story only gets better Come back to the next episode to hear the rest of it and go to the links in the information about the podcast to to learn about how you can support the Jennings and what they're doing for other couples around the nation. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Hey, we're just getting started out. So any help you can provide to share it with your friends would be great. Uh, We just kicked off a Facebook page, uh, the Kindling Fire podcast. And uh, just any episodes that you like, uh, share it with your friends. And um, if you'd like to reach out to us, you can reach us at thekindlingfire at gmail.com. Or if you'd like any more information about myself or some of the things that I write, you can go to troyandkathy.com.